0: I'm Dr. Susan Eyrick, and welcome to Earthfire Radio. Earthfire Institute is a wildlife sanctuary and rehabilitation center whose mission is to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife and nature. It is my total pleasure to speak with Jeff Hogan, a consummate artist who brings to his film work a deep well of knowledge of wildlife based on countless hours of observation in the wilderness. Cinematographer Jeff Hogan has been filming and photographing wildlife around the world for over 30 years, earning numerous awards for his work, including several Emmy nominations for cinematography. Being a naturalist at heart, Jeff's passion is to witness wildlife behavior and to provide us a privileged view into the secret lives of wildlife, capturing intimate imaging that illustrates just what it takes for our wildlife to make a living and highlighting the unique stories that abound throughout the natural world. Jeff resides in the heart of the Yellowstone ecosystem with his wife, Karen, and son, Finn, with homes in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and Silvergate, Montana. Living at the doorstep of both Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, Jeff often captures behavioral sequences rarely witnessed in the wild. Bringing these images and stories to the screen is Jeff's goal, with the understanding and hope that society will respond with a desire to conserve and protect all life and treasure our incredible natural world. Jeff can be reached at HoganFilms.com. Jeff Hogan has lived in the wilderness so many months of so many years that he has this profound understanding of wildlife, what it takes to live out there, um, how we can help, how we can hurt, and it's an absolute delight and honor to speak with him today. Hi, Jeff.
1: Hi. Nice (laughs) to speak with you too, Sue.
0: So one of the things that has stuck with me over the many years that you have said, and you said it so simply and with such clarity, is How hard it is for animals to make a living out there in the wild anyway, and then how much harder we humans make it for them, often without even knowing or realizing. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because I thought if we could help people understand the impact, a lot of people are really well-meaning, and they may not want to be doing the harm, and they may moderate their behavior. So that general discussion is what I'd like to, to go over with you.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, humans really do need to take a step back and just maybe just think a little bit more about what actions they're about to take um, and what might be the consequences of these actions on the natural world. Um, It could be everything from hunting a certain species um, you know, legally, uh, to spraying poison around your house, and your, whether it's plants, rodents, or or insects. Um, all of these things could have a negative impact on our, na- our natural world. And sometimes it could have a major negative impact. Um, and so I think um, those of us who really do care can also be a little bit lax or just not realize what kind of impact they're having. And of course, if we knew, maybe we would change our behavior somewhat. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of my view on all of this. And, um, and if we look into it a little bit closer, we could, you know, give examples. And maybe that would help people yeah. feel out their own situation a little bit better
0: yeah so examples would be great um you know for
1: instance you know a lot of people they're like oh no i have a dandelion in my lawn you know we don't want those dandelions in our lawn and so you know they pour roundup on these dandelions works the wonders you know it just takes them right out grass looks great but there's a couple of things going on there's um for one, those dandelions are important to some of uh, so many species. This is one of the first flowering plants that you know provide nutrition for so many insects, you know, bees especially. And you know, to just eliminate them is like, oh, now you're taking away their food source. Okay, well that would be you know, oh no. Maybe they can go somewhere else and get food source. Well. The other um, thing is that it might also be not just taking away the food source, but poisoning the insect itself. And then everything that feeds on that insect, birds, other insects, they could perish as well. And so it's something that you really have to look into and, and think about, wow, am I, what, is this that important to me that I don't have this dandelion in my yard? There are other options. You can have a a natural uh, garden w- where you use native species. That way, you tend not to have to even use poisons. So they exist naturally and in harmony with all each other, and insects and everything else. And it might not be as clean and as wonderful to walk on in your bare feet, but you know you're going to have a lot more animals in your surrounding your home, or and just on the planet. And to have all of us add it up, you know, one yard here, one yard there, another here. Um, if everybody poisons, that is huge, major devastation. there's only one situation here and there where it's like, oh, no, you know, I have a really bad insect. It shouldn't be here. It's eating my house. Maybe, you know, there's an ex- uh, a great time to use a poison. You know it's not just indiscriminately spraying it out throughout the environment it's targeted an animal shouldn't be here and it's eating my house
0: do you agree <laughs> with using poison in a house
1: uh, it's very rarely do I agree with using poisons in or around my house but I think there really are exceptions where um, okay you know again the there's an insect that's not native to the area. Um, or maybe it's gotten out of control because of our natural world is so out of balance right now. And, and maybe this insect is eating our house. And maybe has one little nest right here. And if we get rid of it, it doesn't eat our house. Okay, maybe that's a, a situation that is, there's some argument for that, for sure.
0: Um, one of the things that struck me was the other day um, and you have, you looking at that footage as we speak, um, you're talking about the male cougar who was shot legally and th- that yeah. example. So I'd love mm-hmm. to hear about that and other examples you've seen out in the wild. All right.
1: And so another example uh, of where we might not realize the consequences of our actions. Um, You know, this very, I'm sure, ethical hunter had a permit to go shoot a mountain lion. You know, so, you know, he went out, harvested a male male mountain lion, uh, which most people would say, oh, well, that's a lot better than harvesting a mom. Because, you know, the moms usually, they're going to have kittens, the females, probably at least two-thirds of the time they have kittens um, that they're raising. And so, you know, hey, great, this guy shot a male um, and all that. And it just happened to be the dominant resident male, which kind of patrols an area that includes several females that are raising kittens in this area. Well, what turned out to be, you know, okay, I harvested, you know, this hunter harvested one cat, one male, the neighboring dominant male who patrols his area notice that this you know this male lion it's, it's he's not marking his territory anymore the neighboring cat seems to be gone missing so this really large neighbor you know big neighbor male cat starts to explore into the area that is now lacking you know another dominant male and he has a run in with a, a female with kittens. And it's not just, it's not probably normal to have a, a violent interaction, but it appears that the female attacked this male in defense of her kittens. And how we, we came to, uh, to understand this is we actually went out and saw the tracks in the snow where they were walking towards each other. And all of a sudden you could see the female go after the male with the tracks in the snow. They had a fight, slid down a hill together and at the bottom there's blood, you know, and it was her blood. He ended up killing this female, mostly probably in self-defense, you know? But now what we have is not only do we have, you know, the male cougar that was harvested legally and ethically, but now there's a female dead and this email has two kittens about 4 or 5 months old who uh, the odds of them surviving are all are just nil and so it was just a tragic situation and if this resident male had not been harvested he'd be there to kind of still mark his territory and kind of you know this other male would have you know kept to his territory and And we wouldn't have had this clash. And so now we have two cats dead and two kittens orphaned. They cannot kill. They don't know how to kill yet. And I followed those kittens for months. Uh, The first one succumbed um, after a few months of just, you know, they were both scavenging on old kills that they had made over the winter with their mom. And, but then they're just losing weight. They're, they're not eating enough food. They can't make it. One of them dies, and now we have another one, one left that somehow learned to start killing things. Started out with ground squirrel, and and then we found a, a, a coyote that it appears could kill the coyote, a small coyote, but at least a coyote. And uh, this is amazing because this cougar, this kitten, killed something with teeth, you know, that could fight back, but it, and it won, okay? But then it started to kill porcupines, which cougars do. Cougars will regularly eat porcupines, but after a while, these porcupines got the better of this kitten. And, you know, my guess is this kitten just didn't learn how to kill them properly. It ended up with quills in its chest that burrowed into the lungs and it ended up killing this kitten and maybe just maybe if the mom was still around this kitten would learn how to kill porcupines properly so that they wouldn't die from the quills only because I was following these cats making a movie that we even know what would happen and that I was working with researchers who had cat's college, so we could follow them and it's the only way we could see the results of an ethical hunt legally harvesting a male lion And so that even though we have best intentions they can go bad and in this case one dead cat turned into four dead cats
0: and two of them were slow deaths
1: one of them died, I'm going to have to say, in June or July, the last one in October. So they were, you know, just months of starving yeah. until, and the, the second kitten, of course, you know, those, those quills burrowing into its chest were, there was no fun way to go. But,
0: so that's one example of how we make life much harder for them out there when it's such a struggle anyway it's a struggle to begin with and then it's a struggle because of decreasing habitat and are imposing on it and all that but can you give some examples of other things you've seen where people may not understand the impact of what they're doing
1: yeah and i'm going to touch base on that um how hard it is to make a living anyway yeah Even in the best of worlds, I mean, this is, you know, kill or be killed kind of a situation. The wildlife, they have to be on the top of their game. The prey has to be on top of its game to get away from the predator. And and the same with the predator has to be on top of its game to get its prey. And somebody's going to lose. And every day it's the same thing out in the wilds. You know, the strongest survive, the smartest survive. And, you know, each day is a challenge for all of these animals out there. There might be times when it's a little bit better, you know, maybe the winter's a little more mild than the last one, you know, and there's things that, you know, change the situation, can make things easier, can make things worse. But generally speaking, every day is a do or die day and, so it's it's hard enough for these animals to make a living to to survive and then you throw in the mix of the humans that are that are running and overpopulating throughout this planet doing whatever they need to do without really concern or thinking about what kind of impact we have on these animals and it doesn't take much to change that individual balance between prey and predator or is there enough food for the elk or that or this or not but i mean just here in jackson hole we just built a whole community right down in the middle of where the elk used to winter there used to be plenty of winter food for twenty thousand elk now we have to feed the 8,000 10,000 elk that still remain in the valley they can't live on the run and you know of course humans need to make a living as well and And they're going to have an impact, and it's not necessarily an evil thing. But what we need to really do is balance our impact with our needs. And a lot of our needs are not necessary. Things Mm -hmm. that we think we need. And it can have a devastating effect on the wildlife for maybe just a little bit of extra convenience for, you know, the human population.
0: Can you think of an example of something that would be a little bit of experience uh, that have a big impact?
1: You know, there's, there's the little picture and then there's a the big picture. Right now we're having um, climate change going on. And that of course is, you know, we've fossil fuels, burning fossil fuels. And we can move away from that very quickly if we had the will but you know there's money involved in the fossil fuels and all that stuff so it's like ah forget it and that's having a huge effect throughout the planet on all of the animals and it's going to have a big effect on ourselves as well Um, but we have a better a better uh, understanding of it and maybe a better way of of adjusting to it than the wildlife does And um, so that's really the big picture. You know, and then I think the um, smaller picture is, you know, just putting vacation homes everywhere throughout the forest. You know, we put them in the most beautiful places to be. We do it nice for, now we don't put our houses halfway up, you know, on a cliff where maybe no animals are really going to spend time. We still stick our homes down along the lakesides or river river bottoms where it's nice and pleasant but that's where all so much of the food that these animals need to exist uh, are and another thing is our animals uh, our pets and animals that we might let run free cats dogs these cats kill millions and millions of songbirds and we never even hardly see the effects of that you know they'll bring one home every now and then you know but you know, nobody's being evil or tries to be or anything. It's just that these are the kind of impacts in a very small scale that could turn into a huge, big scale. All the millions of pets. It's not just the one that's going to make the big difference. It's the millions. Mm-hmm. And the dogs chase animals in the winter. They don't have to catch the elk, but they could exhaust the elk. All of a sudden, it, the elk no longer has the energy to carry on and just get through the harsh, nasty winter, or maybe run from the predator. And, you know, so there's, there's so many examples and, and things that we could change, or at least we should think about so that we can make, you know, a balanced decision that we can live with and we feel good about on how we exist, you know, alongside our wildlife. And our wildlife, I consider them our friends and neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so if we could think of the wildlife in that way, and we treat them the same as Mm -hmm. our friends and neighbors, I think everybody would be much better off.
0: There are these specific things we can do. We can be very careful about where we build. We can be careful about building new roads, which are often not needed. We can be careful about our pets. That's bit by bit by bit, which counts and is important. Is there something we can try to help people with in terms of a fundamental orientation? Or, um, one of which is there are our friends and our neighbors so that we consider them. And yet there's so many things we do that we don't even understand has an impact, ourselves included. Do we need to teach bit by bit as we realize these things happening? Or is there a fundamental worldview that can change how we operate in general? Sort of like when you have an umbrella species, you don't have to worry about all the other species because the umbrella species, be it a grizzly or whatever, protects everything underneath. All we have to do is that one thing. Is there something we can do with human attitudes or understandings that if we can change that fundamentally, all kinds of specific things will change? Or is that not possible?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think right now there's a lot of individuals making incredible discoveries and coming up with alternatives to materials or behaviors, techniques that are better for the planet, better for the wildlife uh, and better for us as a species too. And I think, boy, it would be great if we could somehow take all of these ideas and corral them somewhere, give us, put them in a bank where we could more easily research this information would be wonderful. And of course, most of it is, you know, science. And so I think we really do need to be learning about the wildlife, learning about, you know, the animal behavior, uh, learning about, alternative fuels, learning about alternative materials, something to eliminate plastic. You know, plastics is an incredible example. Yeah. And when it first came out, it was like the miracle product. And now we're seeing that it's like the miracle, the death product. How do we get it out of our system? You know, Roundup, poison, get rid of those bugs, everything that we hate. Now we find out that There's a recent study done where they looked into California wines and found Roundup, the the traces of Roundup in 100% of California wines,
0: Mm.
1: right? I mean, this is like, seriously, this is sick. And um, these are the kind of things where if we could go to an information bank, Mm. You know, it could maybe just make it easier for people to um, learn. Maybe if you say, here's one category, what you can do to help the insects or, or what you can do to keep um, this bad insect away from your house without using poisons. And we had categories that could, could lead people to, you know, specific areas that they're going to deal with next. And they had some options. They, they could look at it, see, can I afford this new option that is wonderful? Can, is it easy to do, convenient? Um, and if not, is the little bit of inconvenience I experience worth it? You know? And so I think a lot of it also is going to come down to people really do need to have respect for the planet and acknowledge and understand how important this planet is to our survival, to our convenience, and, you know, also realize that all of the animals on this planet work together to make it what it is. We start knocking them off the list, there's going to be some sort of consequence down the line. And, you know, this is something that, I think it's a a work in progress, but we are getting to the point now where um, we can make a bank. We can work in that direction where the environment's cleaner, animals can can survive a little bit easier, along with humans, and and maybe even humans can start talking about human numbers, keeping Mm -hmm. them down. When I was uh, a kid, we discussed the population explosion! Hmm. Oh, oh no, we're in trouble. And we had less than half of the people on this planet than we do now—less than half. And um, now nobody seems to really talk about hmm. that population explosion. They just talk about, oh, how are we going to feed all these people? Hmm. Oh, you know, we gotta we are going to expect even another fifty percent increase, and uh, we got to figure out how to feed them. Instead of saying whoa, let's try and not do the 50% increase. And so I'd really like to have the uh, next five generations of humans be able to experience the wonder and the beauty that we still get to experience now. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that in the past 20 years, I think we've lost half of our animals on this planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, geez and um and you know we'd be lucky to hold on to what we've got i so if we can minimize the damage that would be very very important and and i think that with some study with some education and, and with respect um we can actually turn it around we can make things better it doesn't take that long for the earth to heal itself
0: right Can you share some of the beautiful experiences you've had as a filmmaker? I mean, you spend months and months and months out in the wilderness. You practically don't even know humans.
1: <laughs> I must say I feel much better. <laughs> I feel much more uncomfortable um, in the wilds than I do, you know, in a real crowded, busy place with people. And, and I love people and all, but, you know... Um, yeah i'm not i'm not the most uh, I'm not the most adept socialite
0: so you spend sure. months out there in a tent not at all um
1: I just go out in the wilds almost every day at least for a few hours a day um you know sometimes it's from sun up till sundown and because it's I'm filming and I have new, you know, high def 4k movie cameras. I have to have battery power. So I'm either, um, you know, in a remote cabin somewhere that has electricity or I can go home um, every night here down in Jackson hole. Um, I'm filming cougars that are 30 miles away from my house In 45 minutes from when I climb out of, out of my uh, bed, I could be tracking a cat. And so, you know, it gets dark. I have plenty of time to get home, charge my batteries, dump footage, and um, get a good night's rest. And that's one thing I really love is, is not to have to travel to live with wildlife. I want to be able to live amongst the wildlife.
0: Which you and do. Need...
1: Yeah, and, and so and everybody could do that, even if it's just bird feeders around the house, a little bit of natural habitat. It doesn't take much have wonderful animals around your house. They don't have to be cougars or grizzly bears. They could be um songbirds. They can be uh, one of the things I film, but people really don't like a lot in their yard is gophers, pocket gophers. Wonderful creature. Yeah. And and then there's spiders, the spiders that get on the wildflowers, these crab spiders. they'll they'll just they sit there and they wait for the you know insect to come pollinate and they jump on it and this drama, you know, and incredible action in a small scale. And it's fantastic. And so, you know, the, not everything has to be big. Yeah, it, and when I go out in the wilds, you know, people ask me, oh, you know, that must have taken forever to get that shot. You must be so patient. And it's not really about patience. You know, of course, sometimes that plays into it. But you know, I just personally love being out in the wilds, and I might want a shot of a beaver, you know swimming upstream, and I have to sit there and wait for the beaver to come by to swim upstream. It might even take a couple of days, but while I'm out there, there's a million other things going on, and it's just an, an, it's an unlimited amount of, of entertainment out in the wilds that just whether you're going to film them or not, doesn't really matter. But just to be amongst all that and to see it is just incredible. It's just that, that turns me on. I don't need to to be patient to sit under a tree all day. Sometimes I'm just lazy, but you know, most of the time I'm just in awe of the life around me. Ever since I was a child, it's just, The wilds blow me away. I'm just, just blows me away. And it's never paused. It's just continuous. And I have the exact same interest and awe that I've had since I'm a child. I'm just, I I feel as if I've really never grown up. Uh, um, I'm just still just an adult child in awe of the natural world. Yeah. And so I get excited talking about this stuff. Yeah,
0: it's wonderful to listen to you. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Irick for Earthfire Radio, a production of Earthfire Institute. If you would like to help with our mission to change how people see and therefore treat wildlife and nature, Please make a donation at our website www.earthfireinstitute.org. The soundscapes are by Wild Sanctuary Presents, Bernie Krauss and Philip Arberg. Thank you for listening.